Well, today, loved ones, we begin our final series of the summer, entitled Fuel for Your Faith, The Miracles of Elisha. Who says we slide into the end of the summer, huh? 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 Fuel for Your Faith, The Miracles of Elisha. And really, as I thought about that title this week, kind of like the title of Acts, right? It says Acts of the Apostles. Really, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Amen? And so as I thought about this title, it should really be the miracles of God through Elisha. Miracles of God through Elisha. Because we're going to be looking at, over these next five weeks, miracles of an all-powerful God. And make no mistake, all throughout Scripture, from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation, there's only one hero of the story. Amen? And it's not anything created. It's our creator. It's our God. He's always the hero. And you may have heard these miracles before. Some of you may have heard these miracles that God did through Elisha, but let me ask you a question. Do you know how these miracles through Elisha point us to God and how we are to relate to him? We're going to be looking today at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. If you do not have a Bible, make sure you put your hand, trust me, you're going to want to follow along. Put your hand up right now, and our ushers are coming forward to put one in your hands for you to follow along. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word at home, please take that as a free gift for us to encourage you to continue to study God's Word at home. 1 Kings chapter 19 Verses 19 to 21, title of the message is this, Elisha, a man called by God. A man called by God. And some of you may ask here, well, why are we doing a series on fueling our faith? Like, why do a series on this? The Bible's pretty big, and it's got a lot of different truths in it that we could unpack. Why a series on fueling our faith, especially right now in the middle of the summer? And it's quite simple, really. To put it in layman's terms, our faith is a big deal to God. Would you agree? Our faith's a pretty big deal to God. I mean, without faith, let's just take a look at at a snapshot of some of the things that God says faith does. Hebrews 11.6, God says this, without faith it's impossible to please God. That's pretty sobering. Faith's a big deal to God. It's impossible, actually, to please him without it. Here's another one. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. It's so easy. We live in a visual culture. It's so easy just to live our lives by sight and not by faith. Here's a sobering one that hit me between the eyes this week in preparation. Whatever does not come from faith is sin. Ouch. Romans 14, 23. That's a sobering word. Whatever's not done from faith is sin. So therefore, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You see how that connects? So if I could sum it up, I said faith is what glorifies God by trusting him, while a lack of faith, we see, dishonors him. Faith is what glorifies God by trusting him, but a lack of faith dishonors him. And the problem is most Christians will have an increasing knowledge of God. We have a glut of teaching here in the West. Would you agree? You just log on to a podcast, do the next Bible study, take in, take in, take in, take in, take in. All this increasing knowledge of God, but that does little for the most part to translate to an active and increasing faith in God. We get all this teaching, but it does little to translate for most of us. And this year, I look at this year as I was reviewing the preaching calendar from this past year, this year of foundations was our theme. We looked through the entire book of 1 John from September to the end of January, verse by verse, line by line. Then we looked at the foundations of the heart through the Beatitudes. We did an eight-week series from Matthew chapter 5. Then over the last eight weeks, nine weeks, we did a series in Acts called the Foundations of the Church. But the question is, loved ones, not what have you taken in, what have you done with what God has taught you? What have you done with it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. That's a sobering word. What have we done with it? what God is teaching us and how he's, how he's wanting us to apply these truths? 
So we need to get an understanding of where we're heading in the series. We need to get some clarity on what faith actually is. I mean, I don't know about you, but if, if it's impossible to please God without it, I want to know what it is. Right? So let's get some clarity on faith. Well, the biblical definition that we see is from Hebrews 11.1. 1, and many of you may know this already. You'll see it on the screen. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You may have heard that before. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But, 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 let's break this down. Let's drill this down into a practical street-level application of what this means day by day in each circumstance that you face. It's great to know that truth, but how are we applying it? Let's drill it down. Here it is. Based on that definition, here it is. Faith, write this definition down. We're going to use it throughout this whole series. Choosing. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Doesn't happen by accident. Choosing to believe God's word and acting upon it in his power. No matter how I feel, because God is glorified and promises a good result. There's your street level definition of faith based on Hebrews 11.1 and all that's included in it. Choosing. Faith is a choice, loved ones. Walk by faith or walk by sight? Walk by faith, walk by fear. Walk by faith, walk by worry. Walk by faith, walk by anxiety. What is it? Choosing to believe God's word. What he says is true. And then acting on it. There it is, there it is. There's the action in his power because we can't do it on our own. No matter how you feel, no matter what circumstances are dictating to you, no matter what you feel like in that moment, if you're having a bad day, no matter how I feel, because God is always glorified and promises a good result. We're going to take that definition all the way through the series. So why have a series on fueling our faith? Quite simply because God's glory is at stake in our lives. God's glory is at stake in our lives. And this message that we're going to unpack today on the call of Elisha is the introduction that's going to set up the rest of the series as we look at the call of Elisha into his role as Israel's prophet. So let's get some context on where we're landing in the middle of 1 Kings here this morning. The situation is this, when Elisha comes on the scene, Israel is a nation divided. Israel is a nation divided. Under King Saul, here's a little background. We're going to give a little survey of uh, the few chapters before to get a picture of what Elisha's walking into. Under King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, the nation of Israel had been united for the past 120 years. Okay, uh, King David and King Solomon were known as the golden years of Israel's history. They're united up to that point. But after the death of King Solomon in 931 BC, the kingdom of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. Here, you'll see a map on the screen. Divided into two kingdoms. The green area there is the northern kingdom of Israel. And then the gray area at the bottom is the southern kingdom of Judah. So it's split into two from being one. It's divided. Each had their own separate king. So when we get to 2 Kings chapter 3 next week, you're going to be like, why are there two kings? Why are there two? This is why. There's a king of Judah, there's a king of Israel. And since the time, just leave that up there, team. Since the time of Solomon, both the northern and southern kingdoms, for the most part, for the most part, not every king, but most of them, had more and more unfaithful kings ruling them that increasingly, increasingly turned away from the Lord and towards worshiping false gods or idols. Overall, downward spiral going on here. You look all throughout Judges, look at Chronicles, you look at Kings, just so many of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you had some that were faithful, Josiah, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Judah, but overall it's like this, going downhill. And the result is, by the time Elisha comes on the scene, the northern kingdom of Israel, literally, loved ones, that green area, the northern kingdom of Israel was literally a cesspool of idolatry and pagan worship And things were near as bad as ever. They had just come out of the time of King Ahab. Or were just coming out of it. That'll give you an indication. And in terms of Elisha's ministry in this, Elisha was Elijah's successor. So you had the prophet Elijah, and then comes along Elisha. He was a successor as the prophet of Israel and the leader of the sons of the prophets. You're going to hear about them in a couple weeks. You say, what's the sons of the prophets? I want you to think of it as like a prophet training school. Okay, Elisha started running the seminary. 
all right, of teaching the next round of prophets for the land of Israel. And Elisha was a prophet in the ninth century, so this is where we find ourselves, and he was the chief prophet of Israel from 850 to 800 BC. And he mainly ministered in that northern kingdom of Israel. And he performed, get this, get this, did you know this? This, is, this blew my head. He performed more recorded miracles in the Bible than anyone but Jesus himself. I think we got a few things to learn. Don't you? He performed more recorded miracles in the Bible than except for Jesus himself. And he performed twice as many recorded miracles as Elijah. The one who he succeeded. And he focused his, most of his ministry on bringing the apostate and idol-worshipping nation of Israel back to the worship of the one true God. And he was to be also an instrument of judgment on Israel. They were heavy, heavy Baal worshippers. Heavy. Ushered in by King Ahab. And so here in 1 Kings 19, Elijah, here, let's pick up the context. Elijah's been the prophet of Israel for about 20 years at this point. Okay? About 20 years at this point, And he's just finished defeating the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You probably know that story, right? Like thunder comes down and 400 prophets of Baal. And you think this should be Elijah's moment. But he's hiding. He finished defeating the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he's hiding out at Mount Sinai. Where he just ran 40 days and nights through the wilderness to run away from Queen Jezebel who wants to kill him. Now think about that. Think about what happens when fear trumps your faith. You've just seen God annihilate pagan worship on Mount Carmel and all of a sudden you're running for your life. And God instructs him and meets him there and instructs him to go from there and appoint Elisha as his successor. Look at just a couple backup verses. 1 Kings 19 verses 15 and 16. Here, this is the, the situation. And the Lord said to him, meets him in a cave, says, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. This is verse 15. To the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And here it is. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So God meets him right there, Mount Sinai, in a crevice. And here, through the call of Elisha, we see two critical truths we must hold fast to, loved ones, if we are to follow the call of God on our lives in faith and see his glory, power, and presence manifested in and through us as he advances kingdom. Hey, you guys ready to fuel your faith? Ready to fuel your faith? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Let's go. Verses 19 to 21, 1 Kings 19. The call of Elisha. And to honor the authority of God's word, let's stand. The call of Elisha. Verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And then he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Well, to follow God's call in faith, is the first thing we see right here. I must resolve to be faithful with where God has me. To follow God's call in faith, I must resolve first to be faithful where God has me. Now, I, I want you to read the subtitle again. The call of Elisha. We have to understand what God's talking about when he calls someone. What does a call mean before we move any further? Like, I often hear people ask, and I've asked this many times, what's God's call on my life? You ever ask that? Okay, cool. I'm not alone? All right. What's God's call on my life? Well, most of us think that it means that 
It's this ultimate thing or end thing. This is the ultimate call of God on my life that God has ultimately created you for and that everything else until you get to that point somehow is just less important or you're just passing the time and have really no other significance till you reach the call. That's the mindset here. But look at the Hebrew word for call there. You'll see it on the screen. It says this, kara. Kara. And it means this, a summons or invitation. When God speaks or calls people into his service to whom, look at this, in his foreknowledge, there's his sovereignty, he wishes to entrust with his task. There's a Hebrew word. When God speaks or calls people into his service to whom in his foreknowledge he wishes to entrust with his tasks. Now, God's call is not this. I feel I should do this, so God must be calling me. Everyone say, no, it's not. It's not the call. I feel I don't like my job, so God must be calling me to get another one. Everyone say, no, it's not. Okay. He confirms the call, as we're about to see here, through his word. He confirms it through his church. He confirms it through the leaders in that church, just as God used to confirm the spiritual leader, Elijah, to confirm Elisha's call. Elisha just didn't pick up one day on a whim, say, I think I'm called to go be a prophet, so I'm going to quit. No. God sovereignly chose him and sent his spiritual leader to tell him. See that? It's a protection And we have to understand this, loved ones. There are many callings that God gives us throughout our lives. There are many callings he gives us for different seasons. And none of them is less important for God to show his glory through than the next. And ultimately, loved ones, our calling in each of them. Here's your ultimate call. And wherever God has you right now, your ultimate call is to glorify God and grow in love with him as his children. And that is worked out through the various calls that he gives us at different times. Like for some of you right now, let's get an example. Let's break this down. For some of you right now, you are called to be a stay-at-home mom or dad. Praise the Lord. This is the season and where God has called you. For some of you right now, you're called to work in an office, a warehouse, a fast food joint. You're called to be scrubbing floors. You're called to be working in a parking lot. Praise the Lord. That's the calling he has for you in this season. Okay, for some of you in this room, maybe God is just calling you to rest in this season and you're unemployed. God is calling you uh, because he knows you need healing, you need strengthening, you need refreshing, and you've tried to get these jobs and he's just shut the door. He's making you lie down in green pastures and get to know him. Maybe for some of you here, I know all of our students will be coming back in the next couple weeks, but... um, You're called to be a student. You're called to be doing your homework. You're called to be doing exams. You're called to be glorifying God right in the middle of that. And you've been placed there by God for his glory and you're called to be faithful right where you are. Right where you are. And this is what we see here in verse 19 when we meet Elisha. This is exactly what's going on with Elisha right now. Look at verse 19. So he departed from there, that is Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Okay, so when it says he departed from there, recall what I said in our intro today. Elijah's been hiding out at Mount Sinai, fearing for his life when God tells him to go and anoint Elisha. And it says that once God gives him that instruction, he leaves Sinai and finds Elisha, who's plowing on his dad's farm, with 12 yoke of oxen. Now we've talked about Elisha's ministry. Now let's talk about Elisha the man a bit. Who does the Bible say Elisha the man is? Right. Well, we see here in verse 16, if you kick back to verse 16, Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahola. Now, here's a map. This is where Elisha's from, right here. See at the top there, right on the Jordan River? That's in the Jordan Valley. That's Abel-Mahola. So you've got Samaria, then down in Jerusalem, and Beersheba. And so he's from this unknown place in the Jordan Valley, this little tiny town. He was the son, though, of a wealthy farmer named Shaphat. Now, how do you know he was wealthy? Well, he had 12 yoke of oxen. 
that means he's got 24 oxen. One yoke has two oxen in it. He's got 24 oxen. This guy's pretty well off. Not to mention he's got 11 servants running the 11 oxen that are before Elisha. Okay? So he's wealthy. And Elisha's working for his parents on that father's estate. And nothing is... Notice this? Notice this? Love this. In God's kingdom, the economy is always less is more. Always. Notice this? There's nothing mentioned about Elisha's age. But we can guess that he was a young man around 20 years old or so as best we can piece together, when God called him to be Elijah's assistant and that he was over 70 years old, roughly, when we were told he dies of an illness in 2 Kings 13. Okay, roughly around 70 from our best guess. There's commentators' research on that. And the text goes on to state that Elijah comes by. Picture the scene here. Elijah comes by and casts his cloak on him. Now, the cloak is this. It's not your, like, H&M special... You know, I'm going to leave. I'm going to Mark's work warehouse, going to like Moore's, and here's my special prophet coat that's all shiny. This was animal skin full of animal hair. Okay, all right? That's so itchy. Animal skin, right? So he throws it around his back, and what the Hebrew word there for cloak means is mantle. Not just a piece of material, it's a mantle. In this case, it symbolized the transfer of the prophetic office from Elijah to Elisha. He's transferring the prophetic office from himself onto Elisha. Now, here, this is what seen. Oh, that's Abel Mahola today, by the way. Okay? All right, go to the next one. This is, here's the scene. Here's the scene. We've got Elisha. He's like, what are you doing? And here comes Elijah, just walking past. Boom. Throws his coat on him. The mantle. Now leave that up for this. We have to understand this as you look at that picture. Elisha, loved ones, understand this. He's just an ordinary guy. He's just an ordinary guy at home, working on a farm, working hard, but in the middle of nowhere, doing the same monotonous plowing over and over and over again for a long time. Hours a day and most likely for years working on the farm. Now look at that picture. Just think about this. How do you think that smelled? Just think. Live in the text. Live in the text, loved ones. How, if you're alive, how do you think that smells? You're going to that hours and hours and hours a day for years. Hmm. Hmm. How much dirt do you think you'd get kicked in your face? Don't forget, you're the 12th oxen row. There's 11 in front of you. How much manure do you think you're stepping in? Day after day after day. Huh. And if that's not enough, this guy's laughing about this. If that's not enough, how's your view of things when you look forward? Like, you're not, that's not postcard material. This is what you're looking at for hours a day, and you reek. That was what he was called to at that time. That's what he was called to be faithful in at that time. And you're here doing this same thing day after day. And then all of a sudden, you're not even looking for it. You just want to be faithful. You love the Lord. You just want to be faithful. And all of a sudden, without even thinking about it, Elijah comes by and does this. He throws his cloak around you and says, Hey, Elisha, God's chosen you to be the next prophet of Israel. Okay, if you're Elisha, how do you feel right now in this moment? You've got this animal, this mantle. How are you feeling right now? I mean, think about this. Elisha didn't have any formal training here. He was a farmer. He didn't have any formal training in rabbinical schools or prophetic training going on here. He wasn't hanging out with the other sons of the prophets at this time who were studying and training to do this. He'd been on a farm, stepping in manure, getting dirt kicked in his face, getting calluses on his hands, cutting his feet. Looking at the rear end of oxen. That's what he's doing. What he was called to for that time. I mean, did you see this coming? 
Would you see that coming? I doubt it. I doubt it. And this begs the question, begs the question right here as you look at this picture. Why on earth would Almighty God, who could have chosen anyone, why on earth would God, out of all the people he could have chosen, to carry the most important mantle in the entire nation at the time, the one that he would speak his word through and do many of the greatest miracles ever written in Scripture that would literally change lives for his glory, why on earth would the sovereign God choose this guy? The one with manure on his feet, calluses on his hands, dirt under his nails and in his teeth. The farm boy. Why would he choose that? This guy's a nobody. From nowhere. He's not from Jerusalem. He's not from Bethel. Not one of these high-powered cities. He's from Abel Mahola. Did you hear about that before today? Here's why. Write this down. You'll see it on the screen. Because Elisha was an ordinary man who loved an extraordinary God. Elisha was an ordinary man who loved an extraordinary God. And he had resolved that no matter where God called him, if that was to plow the field, if that was to step in manure, if that was to have the worst view ever for 12 hours a day for the rest of his life, he was going to be faithful to plow that field. He was going to do it. No matter where God called him, he would be faithful to do it with all his might for the glory of God, no matter how long and no matter the task. He wasn't focused on advancement. This world is so focused on advancement. Get to the next thing. Get to the next thing. Get higher up. Then you'll be more successful. Really, really? Not in God's kingdom. Less is more. Less is more. He's not focused on advancement. He's not looking for a way out. I'll just bide my time until something better comes. He was focused on being faithful in loving his God and doing what he'd been entrusted with for God's glory. He wasn't claiming the privilege of a son. He was with the servants. He didn't think he deserved better. He would be faithful. And although, no doubt, Elisha didn't expect God to call him to this mantle, he certainly wasn't working to earn that position. That's so key, loved ones. God in his sovereignty saw into Elisha's heart and knew that he could be entrusted with what God wanted to give him. See, in the Lord's kingdom, it always comes back to the heart. Always. The heart is everything to God. If he has a hold of your heart, he has a hold of you. Heart is everything. So question Begs the question, how is your heart right now with what God's called you to do and what he's entrusted you with? How's your heart when you're walking to work? Are we complaining, grumbling, murmuring? Are you in humility resolving to be faithful right where God has called you at this season with what he's entrusted to you, no matter the task and how long he may have you there? Hey, moms, moms, moms. Changing diapers, making meals, sweeping that same spot on the floor six times a day, doing laundry. Where's the glory in this? Where's it? Oh, there's, there's a lot when God's is on your agenda. Hey, dads, dads, how about this? Providing for your families, going home to lead your families in the Lord, going home to lead them, and then helping with the diapers. And then helping with the meals. And then helping with the laundry. How are you doing with that, with what God's called you to there? How about this? How about this? Singles. How are we doing without having a spouse? How are we doing? Families wanting children. How are we doing? Are we being faithful with where God has called us right now? Are we still striving to be faithful? Say, Lord, my heart is hurting. I need you to heal it, but I want to be faithful right now. Students, what about in school? Employees, with your work, you're doing the same monotonous job, but I only enter data into a keyboard. Where's the glory in that? Really, really? When God's glory is on your agenda, it's all over the place. The question is, are you resolving to be faithful right there? 
when you go in there Monday morning. Church, how about this, loved ones? Faithfully serving behind the scenes without ever getting noticed. What about our setup and teardown team? How about this? Our nursery team holding babies right now, praying over them for the glory of God. How about this in Harvest Kids? Getting down on the floor with a preschooler and investing into them by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. How about this? The guys out in the parking lot. You know, he's putting out the pylons. How about this? The administration team that's putting a schedule together and doing all this. No one sees it. No one sees it. Are we resolving to be faithful right there? Or are we more concerned with wanting to be somewhere else or do something else that you feel is more glamorous or more high profile? See, loved ones, I I noticed this as I thought about and prayed about this this week. I have been increasingly grieved in recent years as I look and I see more and more people unwilling to do behind the scenes but so eager to take a microphone. So eager to lead the small group. So eager to do this but not willing to set up a chair. Don't work like that in God's kingdom. Don't work like that. And so you find yourself frustrated, complaining, upset as you see others doing things you want to do. Why were they chosen? Why did they get that? We have to remember this. Ready? Write this down. Extraordinary acts of God always begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary acts of God always begin with ordinary acts of obedience, loved ones. And the truth is this, you'll see this on the screen, we have to remember this, loved ones, our heart is so easily deceived. Remember this, God will never call you to unfaithfulness in what you have. So you can just pursue faithfulness in what you think you want. Let me say it again. God will never call you to unfaithfulness in what you have. He will never call you to be complaining. God never calls you to complain. He will never call you to be grumbling. He will never call you to be gossiping or irritated or frustrated with what he has entrusted to you already just so you can pursue faithfulness in what you think you want. So many of us just have this mentality. If I just get that, if I just get to do this position, then I'll be faithful. Hey, loved ones, here's the truth. No, you won't. Why? Because that mantle will crush you if your heart is not ready for it. If we haven't gone through the manure, if we haven't got the dirt kicked in our face, if we haven't humbled ourselves and been faithful right where God has trusted to us, that mantle that we think we want so bad will crush you because your heart is so easily deceived and your heart's not ready for it. Why would God choose Elisha? This is why. This is why. Because before you can have faith, Fruitfulness, loved ones. Before we can have fruitfulness, we must have faithfulness. It just doesn't work the other way. Before you can have fruitfulness, you must have faithfulness. And God's refining you, and he's training you, and he's equipping you, and he's crushing you. God is not looking, I'm so much more convinced, we are just a senior pastor and wise retreat, I'm just so much more convinced of this. God is not looking for more leaders. He's looking for men and women willing to be crushed. He's looking for men and women who say, yeah, I gave you a child so you could change his diaper. Will you do it faithfully? Instead of, well, if I just had a women's ministry. Really? Plow the field. Plow the field. Because the truth is, the shortcuts we try to take in our faith are always the longest ways around. God will just keep you in that place because he loves you too much to advance you knowing that it's going to hurt you. The shortcuts we try to take in our faith are always the longest ways around, loved ones. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord, loved ones. And this, before Elisha could be ready to stand before kings from the palace, he had to be content, that's the key word, content and resolved to stand behind oxen in the pasture. Before he was going to stand before kings in the palace, he had to stand behind oxen in the pasture. That's the reality. That's the reality for Elisha. That's the reality for you and me. And God, hey, 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 loved ones. You say, okay, so if I just change enough diapers, I'll be called to the palace? Time out. Time out. Time out. Gotcha. 
Okay? And God, listen, God may never call you to be to the palace. He may never give you that women's ministry or men's ministry platform you so want or on a worship day or do whatever. He may never call you to that, but he has called you to be faithful right where he has called you already. 1 Timothy 6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Yes, great gain. Doing one. Yes, great gain. In that monotonous job. Yes, great gain. Right there. Ordinary men and women loving an extraordinary God. To follow the call of God in faith, I must resolve to be faithful where God has me. And not only must I resolve, be resolved with where God has me, but our last point today is this. I must respond in faith when God calls me. I must resolve to be faithful with where God has me, and I must respond in faith when God calls me. Look at verses 20 and 21. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said this, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed, what a scene right here, sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. See, in response to Elijah, Elisha, notice this, he immediately runs after him and asks him if he can go back and say goodbye to his family before he leaves. That's why he says, may I kiss my father and mother? He's like, I want to say goodbye. I want to, the kiss, that symbol of a kiss was a symbol of a transfer of allegiance. Transfer of allegiance from serving my parents to serving the Lord and what he's calling me to do in this new call. And knowing, knowing the temptation that Elisha would face to not want to pursue what God was calling him to because of what it would cost him, Elijah gives him a warning here. Do you see that? He gives him a warning in verse 20. He says this, go back, okay, all right, go kiss, go kiss your parents, go back again, for what have I done to you? You know what he's saying here? He reminds him of the importance of the call the importance of the call that he has received and exhorts him to not be distracted from it by any earthly affection that would keep him from being obedient. It's like, warning, okay, go say goodbye, but make sure you say goodbye. Make sure you say goodbye. Don't be distracted. Remember what God's call in your life signifies. And the result you see in verse 21 After saying goodbye to his family, Elisha then takes the oxen he was plowing with, slaughters them, cooks them in a fire that he made by burning the wooden yoke that was around them, feeds his family and fellow workers with the meat, and then gets up and follows Elijah. See, I love how commentator Tony Merida put it this way. You see it on the screen. Here we see Elisha's total abandonment of all things for God's will. Beautiful. Total abandonment of all things for God's will. Elisha not only kisses his family goodbye, but notice this, he also kisses the world goodbye. God before me, the world behind me. I kissed my family goodbye, I kissed the world goodbye. He destroyed all his old means of sustenance. He destroyed it. Not making a living anymore. Actions, these actions demonstrate Elisha making a clear break between his old and new calling. He is taking a single-minded approach to following the Lord. He's all in. He's killed the cow and burned the plow. He's all in. And he's saying resolutely by this action, I have decided to follow the Lord and there is no turning back. There's no turning back. And we see Elisha here respond in faith to God's call in two ways. The same two ways. Hey, loved ones, the same two ways we are called to today. These same two principles right here. Two ways we respond in faith to God's call. Number one, by counting the cost. By counting the cost of comfort and affections. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. And he left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? See, in saying goodbye to his family and vocation to follow God's call for him, Elisha was saying goodbye to his comfort, his convenience, his security, everything that he had known. 
Hey, loved ones, God's calling is more important than your comfort. That's something the Lord has struck me with over and over again over this, through this whole church planning process. Ray, my calling is more important than your comfort. Will you follow me? Are you going to burn that plow? Are you going to kill that cow? Now notice this. This is the picture of the call of following Christ that Jesus gives us in Luke 14, 26 and 33. Look at the screen. He says this. Jesus says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot. That's a strong word right there by our Savior. He cannot be my disciple So therefore, so there's the affection piece. So therefore, any one of you does not renounce all that he has. There's the provision piece. He has, cannot be my disciples. Affections and provision. Now, time out. You're saying, what? You're going to hate my family? Listen, time out. Let's get some clarity. Jesus is not saying here that we need to hate our families. He's using a, a word picture to give you how strong our devotion is to be to him. He's not saying here that loving our families or friends and having possessions is wrong. What he is saying and what Elisha is saying here by his actions is that his love for God trumped the love for his family and any earthly provision. And as much as he loved them, he loved the Lord more and would follow him or give his life for him. That's what these actions are saying. See, and isn't that a picture of someone else who did that? Our Savior, Jesus Christ, in perfect intimacy and affection with his Father, in heaven, humbled himself, left the perfection of heaven and that perfect intimacy and laid his life down for us. Philippians 2, 6 to 11, I love it. You'll see it right here on the screen. It says this, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Look at this, but emptied himself. Every plow burned, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, coming to earth, fully God, fully man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I love this, therefore. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a picture. What a picture. Have your affect question, loved ones. Have your affections for your relationships, comfort, and security become an idol that is stealing your affection for Christ and distracting you from being all in and following his call for you? Family's a great thing, but not when it becomes an idol. Is it? And that opportunity that he's given you, is that, is that being a hindrance there, that idol? Maybe, maybe some of your other idols here are, well, if I follow God, I've got to give up this hobby. I've got to give up what I love to do if I'm going to be all in. I love to play golf. I love to work out. I love to, you know, I have to give all that up. Maybe. Are you willing to? Are you willing to? How about this? In your relationships, some of you here may be in some really bad relationships. That boyfriend, that girlfriend, that relationship with someone else around that really isn't building you up in the Lord at all and they're actually discouraging you from taking your next steps of faith through gossip and complaint. Is that a plow that needs to be burned? about this, patterns of sin. Well, if I follow God, I'm going to have to give up this pattern of sin in my life, my pride, my, my desire for what I want, my own agenda. My own agenda. Is that keeping you? Is that a plow that needs to be burned, loved one? Maybe it's finances and my job. Well, I just, if, I, if I really take that step of faith and what it means, how, how's God going to provide? I mean, I've got a pretty comfortable job over here making a lot of money. If I step out of that, what's next? Is that become an idol for you taking your next steps to follow Jesus Christ? Be honest. Just be honest, loved ones. 
Just be honest. Maybe you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior and you're not answering his call because you love the comfort of this world so much and you don't see that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And his call, his first call for you today is to repent of your sin and confess him as your Lord and Savior. How do I know that? Because Hebrews says, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That's your first call. That's your first call. And that can happen today. Two ways we respond in faith to God's call. Number one, we've got to count the cost. Here's number two, not turning back. Not turning back. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 right here. And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Remember, by slaughtering the oxen he used for his job and burning the yoke that held them, Elisha makes a complete break with his former work or former way of life. And he didn't want to have anything to tempt him to go back to it. Because I guarantee you, when God calls you to something, there's going to be trials. It's going to get hard sometimes. And your flesh is going to be one to be tempted to go back to where you knew before, where it was comfortable, where it was easy. But when God calls you to that... He calls you to burn the plow. So he's like, you're all in. I've got your heart. I'll see you through. Keep going. Keep going. Don't go back to the comfort. And this is what Elisha's doing here. I'm burning. I got no other option. I can't go back there. There's nothing left for me there. Or, or the other thing, the temptation to want to stop following God's call after you step into it. And you're like, well, this isn't panning out how I thought it would. I thought when I was called by God, like, think of Elisha. Do you notice, don't miss this, the last part of verse 21, notice this. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Wait a second here. I was called to be the chief prophet. And now I'm the water boy for Elijah. How do you know he's a water boy? 2 Kings 3.11, it says he's washing his hands. He's just washing the hands of Elisha for eight more years. He was called, yes, but God had preparation for him. And if he had stepped into that call and said, well, wait a second, I'm not getting the, the position I thought I would. I, just, I was way more comfortable back here. Why would I stick it out? This is what, like, think about this in terms of the church. How many people come into the church and they're like, yeah, I'm all in until I don't get what I want or things don't go the way I do, and then they leave. Let's just go find another one. How do you think it's going to go at that church? Instead of saying, I'm burning the plows, I'm plugging in, and I'm committing right where I am. If they don't have all the snazzy programs, I'm here. God has called me here, and I'm plugging in. That plow's burned. There's no quit option. Think about this. Do you think Elisha thought he'd be watering hands for eight years? He was supposed to have the mantle. That was coming. He wasn't ready to receive it. It's convicting. Tempt him to go back. See, he burned his past behind him and gave his full allegiance to Christ. And so often we say, yeah, I want to follow you, Jesus. We're going to sing a response song today that is the theme song for this church. I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of biased. It's my favorite. But here's the thing, this is what God has done in me and in, through me and is still doing and wants to do in the heart of each of us continually to say, I have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. And he's not saying, so many of us want to say, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but just let me keep my plows. Just in case it doesn't work out. Let me keep my plows. In case it doesn't work, and, and, and just some of you don't know. Many of you don't know the story of how I was called to pastoral ministry in the church. But as I was preparing this week, Natalie and I had some great conversations about this. Like it was just bringing back all these memories. And there were, it brought back one plow, a few plows that needed to be burned. Before I was called to be uh, a pastor in a church, 
I was called to be teaching, and I was a high school and elementary school and spec ed teacher for six, seven, eight years. And then, during my last year in the contract, Lord put it on my heart and the heart of our elders, where we were at, the church, that I was called to be preaching God's word. But here's the thing. I got hired at my first little job in Stainer, Ontario, in literally this little cow patch. I walked into the church parking lot the first day, and I heard more cows than people. And I was like, where am I? Where am I? And this is glory to the Lord for this. But what I did was, I was so insecure because of the break that was needed, the pension, the benefits, the retirement package, the security of a full-time contract, all I kept on renewing my Ontario College of Teachers membership every year, even though I had been a pastor. And I was renewing it just in case. Why? Because here I was thinking, walking by sight. I'm a nobody from nowhere. Does anyone know where Fort Francis, Ontario is? Hey, we got one. Sweet. <laughs> there's, there's, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's about as far as you can get from Ottawa in this province. Heck, I'm from there and I don't even know where it is. It's in the middle of nowhere. 8,000 people mining, fishing up north. You're camping. Like, having a full rack of teeth is a privilege. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing, loved ones. I was thinking, I'm a nobody. For no- I had no seminary training. None. When God called me into this, I had no experience. I didn't didn't come to know the Lord until I was in my mid-twenties. I didn't grow up in the church. I had no idea. You know, in my interview, they're like, for children and youth pastors, like, can you give us a long-term plan for the ministry? I'm like, teach me how to make one, and I'll give you one. I had no idea, loved ones. Nothing. No idea what I was doing. And so for the first two years, I just kept that OCT plow right there. I just kept it. I used to be a personal fitness trainer, so I just kept that fitness certification right there. Just kept renewing it. Renewing it, because you had to pay money every year to do that. Until finally, my wife Natalie looks at me and she says, what are you doing? Two years in, I said, well, I'm renewing my Ontario College of Teachers membership. She goes, why? God called you to be a pastor. She goes, he may have your hands right now, but he doesn't have your heart. Burn the plow. And that was a plow-burning ceremony that day of saying, I've decided to follow Jesus, whatever cost, whatever the end. I had to burn that plow and have faith in the Lord and not look back. Whatever you want, Lord, whatever the cost or whatever the end. And now I see why. I'm starting to see why. This journey of church planting. And if I was on this journey at that time, I would be crushed. When that opposition comes, and it comes, and it did come, seeing this church planted, we're doing, and this isn't a oh, look at best right. This is look at the glory of our Savior, who's so faithful and so kind to take a scared nobody from nowhere and say, "I've put a call on your life in this, and I'm going to walk you through." But are you going to burn that plow to see that happen? I couldn't have dreamed we'd be church planting. I didn't know anything. I couldn't have dreamed it. Not a million years. If we had just said, I'm going back to this, we would have missed what God's doing right here. We would have missed this. And it's only by the grace of God we're here. And now I look, I look at this church, I see almost a full church, and I see so many nations trying to. God is so faithful. He's just so faithful. Doxa. God is faithful. Find out what plows need to be burned and burn them by the power of Jesus Christ. Because along with that OCT membership going down the tubes, he's like, hey, and by the way, you need to burn that plow of fear. You need to burn that plow of insecurity. You need to burn that plow of anxiety. You need to burn the plow of worry and doubt and you need to give those to me so I can take care of business because this is why I sent my son to die for you and it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't submit again to that yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that I've set you free. Don't submit again to that just because it gets hard, just because there's trials. Don't submit again to that. Don't go back to the comfort on that. 
Because he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. He who is in you is greater than any statistics that say a church won't work in Quebec. Really? Why? Because Jesus has a final say. Jesus has the final say. Burn the plows, loved ones. Be all at core group. Be all in. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm not half in and half out. I'm here. And until you move me, I'm staying here. And it's going to get hard. Praise the Lord. He's plowing new ground. Here's the reality. Those who hold on to the least are the ones God will use the most. Less is more. Those who hold on to the least. I'm not holding on to this fear. I'm not holding on to this anxiety. I'm not going to hold on to those relationships more than my love for Christ, more than I want to hold on to him. Nope, not going to do it. Those that God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. He who called you is faithful. He will do it. He will do it. He will do it. That is the gospel. So beautiful, so true. And there's so many people in this church who moved here, a number of people who moved here and left the comfort of where they were and left the comfort and the ease that they could have just lived the rest of their lives out with and said, I'm gonna be a part of God's call and he who called you is faithful and he's gonna do it. And they said, I'm gonna burn that plow and I'm gonna count the cost and I won't be able to live as I used to live and I won't be close to those same people I used to be close to, but I'm gonna be close to God. Because in him is life and godliness. In him is my reward. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. And even if it doesn't think it's going to look like, even if it doesn't pan out to look like what I thought it would, I'm in. That plow's burned. Christ or bust. That's it. Responding to God when he calls. To follow the call of God in faith, I must resolve to be faithful where with God has me. And I must respond in faith when God calls me. He will meet all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Hey, question. What plows need to be burned in your life that are keeping you from following Christ's call in faith? Maybe it's that fear. Fear of man. Fear of outcome. Fear that, well, what will happen here? What will happen if I do this? Maybe it's, maybe it's you're just wanting to keep your own agenda. The idol of agenda. Whose agenda is that? Maybe it's the pattern of sin that God's like, hey, 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 I died for that sin to forgive it and you're forgiven but you're still walking in slavery. It's time to give that over and burn it. Maybe it's your desires for possessions, just material comfort. No, why would I serve in the church when I can just have an easier... Mo- maybe it's your unbelief and some of you may, be, may say this. Well, it's my unbelief. Like, I, I have to, what do I need to do? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. That's his call to you today. And burn the plow of the old life and be raised to life in him. The new life, the new creation. It's time to burn the plows, church. It's time to burn the plows. Kill the cow and burn the plow. Christ or bust. Have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. Because I guarantee you this, as the worship team comes up here, I guarantee you this, when you stand before Jesus Christ very soon, you will regret nothing you've lost for his sake. Welcome to the life of faith, part one. Let's pray. Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, you're here, you're at work. I am nothing, you are everything. Would you continue to have your way in this place? Would you continue to take each person's heart right now and examine it and illuminate it? Lord, show them what, what are the plows that need to be burned? What are the cows that need to be killed? 
what's keeping us from being all in. Even good things, God, can keep us from that. Spirit, I pray you would move right now. And those, maybe those bruised reeds, the people who are hurt and and suffering in this room right now, they'd say, I'm not going to hang on to that unforgiveness anymore. I'm not going to hang on to that bitterness. I'm not going to hang on to that disappointment. I'm going to burn that plow by the power of Jesus Christ who died for me and I'm going to set my eyes to him and continue to walk in faithfulness and not make excuses anymore. I've made excuses for too long. Here I am right now in this moment saying, Jesus, will you help me be all in for you? Will you give me the faith to burn that plow and to seek your face? No turning back. And just in the quietness of your seat right now, I just encourage you, if, just call out to him. The quietness of your heart, just say, hey Jesus, Jesus, I need you. I want to be all in. I'm not quite there yet. I want to be. Would you bring me there? And he says, yes. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And for those who've counted that cost and are in this room right now, and they need encouragement, Lord. They need strengthening for the task that is before them. Would you Would you be that source of strength right now as they call out to you? And that would overflow in a spirit of thanksgiving and joy and gratitude and contentment to say, here I am, Lord, right here. Use me. Use me in the small. Use me on the field. Use me in the pelt. Whatever you want. I'm in for you. No turning back. In Jesus' name.